future. There are no people. There are no people in the future. No people at all. There are no people in the future. Where did all my people go? There are no people in the future. Let me try my people call. Everybody, everybody, welcome, welcome. It is Monday, August 8th, 2022. Welcome to Raging Chickens, out to Coop Live. This is, of course, Kevin Mahoney, creator and founder of Raging Chicken. On Out to Coop Live, we talk to progressives, activists, and troublemakers of all sorts, right from our own backyard and from across the country. You can join us also at the end of the week for our Friday Politics Roundup, where we break down the good, the bad, and the ugly in state and national politics. And you can check out our once or twice monthly The Wednesday Show with Cyril Michaleko. Cyril is the editor-in-chief of the Bucks County Beacon, and he joins me to drill down into Bucks County, Pennsylvania, and international politics. You can get all our shows by subscribing to our podcast on Podbean, iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. We're there. We're just there. You just got to click, join, you're it. There you go. And you can help support this show by becoming a patron for as little as five bucks a month. Head on over to patreon.com slash rcpress to become a patron today. You can also help out the show by getting on over to our YouTube channel if you're not there already. Smash that subscribe button, like the stream for this show, and hit that notification bell so you know every time that we go live. You can join our Discord server. Lots on that happening starting up this fall especially, so get on it now. Info on that is in tonight's show notes. For more PA Progressive Talk, tune in to the Rick Smith Show's live stream at 9 p.m. Eastern on his YouTube channel, Twitter, Facebook. Look, wherever you get your stream, Rick's going to be there. Head on over to the ricksmithshow.com for the latest across all his platforms. And you got to check out the Sisters of the Night Caucus podcast if you haven't already. The amazing PA women stirring the political cauldron behind this podcast rock the house. And they know where the bodies are buried. you got to check that out on Twitter at, at the Night Caucus. That's at the Night Caucus on Twitter. And subscribe to their podcast on Anchor, Spotify, iTunes, wherever you get your podcasts. Attention all you gamers out there. The Game Inn is a Quakertown-based, black family-owned gaming store. They're friends of the show, and they've got everything for retro N64s and latest consoles, video games for all platforms, collectibles, action figures, Funko Pops, walls, literally walls of Funko Pops. I kid you not. And look, with school starting up, you got to know they're probably going to keep this going. Kids get discounts with A's on the report cards. Check them out on their Facebook page. Follow them on Twitter at, at the Game In. That's with two N's. You got a question about a game? Look for something hard to get. Drop in an email. Email at thegameinpa at gmail.com. Special shout out, as usual, goes to Jonathan Mann, who wrote our intro song, There Are No People in the Future. Check out all his great stuff on his YouTube page and follow him on Twitter at, at Song of Dayman. Again, with two N's, at Song of Dayman on Twitter. And folks, don't let Paul Martino and his oligarch friends buy our schools and push extremist politics in our community. Raging Chicken has teamed up with Levelfield to launch a truly community-rooted PAC to invest in organizing, support local and statewide progressive candidates, and unmask the toxic organizations injecting our communities with right-wing extremism. We're putting small-dollar donations to work to beat back the power of big money. You can get more information and you can drop us a donation at ragingchicken.levelfield.net. Well, I'm totally, totally excited tonight. On tonight's show, of course, uh, I welcome Mark Pinsley to the show. 
Mark is a Democratic candidate for PA State Senate in the 16th District. The 16th District now was newly drawn to include portions of Northern Bucks County, Upper Bucks County, and Lehigh County, Western Lehigh. Mark is currently Lehigh County Controller and is seeking to add Democratic pickups for the State Senate. Following Republican Pat Brown's loss to right-wing challenger in the Republican primary, this guy got by the name of Jarrett Coleman, there's even more at stake. Coleman is an anti-abortion candidate that served the Parkland School Board to push anti-masking policies during the pandemic and who stoked the flames of critical race theory conspiracies. Mark brings an um, experienced, progressive voice to this election with so much at stake. With enough people on the ground organizing by his side, Pinsley has got a good shot of turning the PA 16th blue. Yep, we'll talk to Mark about his campaign and the stakes of this November's election. Welcome to the show, Mark. Hey, Kevin, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Oh, man, It's good to see you when I'm not sweating. Yeah, right. <laughs> well, I saw, I was going to say, it was great seeing you yesterday. We had a great uh, rally for reproductive rights in Sellersville. Uh, Mark was one of the featured speakers, along with uh, Ashley Ehas, uh, Gwendolyn Stoltz, uh, Jim Miller. They were out there with candidates, amazing youth activists, um, kind of standing together as a community in the sweltering heat. Um, <laughs> but, you know, look, you know, kind of equality, justice in our future um, doesn't stop when the weather gets hot, right? Yep. <laughs> yeah. So everybody, I want to be everybody be aware of this tonight. Just so you know, uh, we got a little bit of a late start. In part, we're having some weird kind of tech issues on the background, so we're getting a little delay on our end. It shouldn't affect what you're hearing, but if you hear little pauses in between, kind of us responding, that's just because we're dealing with that little thing. Just want to heads up to everyone. Um, it's not that uh, we're kind of uh, wanting big gaps there. It's just every once in a while we're getting this little uh, uh, this little gap just for everyone's information. Uh, Chuck jumps in and says, yes, it was freaking hot yesterday. <laughs> yes, it was, Chuck. <laughs> How you doing, Chuck? How you doing, Emily? Thanks for joining the show tonight. Um, so, Mark, now, um, before we jump into your campaign, I mean, there's a whole bunch of stuff I want to talk about. I want to talk about what you're doing with banking up there in Lehigh, uh, Lehigh County. I want to talk about the stakes of the election. Um, but before we get there and kind of jump right into it, um, maybe we could just kind of pause a little bit for those folks who maybe haven't had a chance to come out here. You speak, um, haven't kind of, uh, are kind of becoming new because this is a newly drawn district district. So folks in upper bucks, uh, might be a little less familiar with your background. However, folks, in Lehigh yep. County, a little bit more familiar. So let's just step back a little bit and give us a baseline here. Um, talk a little bit about kind of your background and then kind of what brings you, um, to this run for PA state Senate. Yeah. So, yeah, I'll start with the background, then get to PA Senate 16. So, yeah. So basically, you know, I've been a business guy all my life, actually. So I, you know, came out of college. I went to Northeastern University up in Boston and I had worked with my grandfather uh, for some time. Like, so I was doing school at night, working for my grandfather who uh, sold chairs to hotels and restaurants you know, and uh, of course I was a young man and I was like, well, I'm never going to make a million dollars doing this. I got to go start doing something else, <laughs> you know, because we always want to do better, right? Like uh, the grass is always greener. Right, right. Uh, and I actually, I started my own little company, uh, which was, you know, at the time you would call it an e-commerce company today. Uh, we raised like a million bucks. We started this little company. Uh, I ended up selling it. it. I didn't become a millionaire, but it was uh, it was a good trip. Um, and then I ended up, you know, working, uh, for a really large company, which was called ILS and it was a part of a company called Avial, which is a public company now owned by Boeing. And, and I was the vice president of marketing. And basically what I did was I, I got to travel the world, you know, so I was a young man. I was 29. I started there at 29 as vice president of marketing. Uh, and really what a phenomenal 
time. Uh, you know, the internet had just sort of become a big thing. We were using it in order to deliver services. We were kind of like the eBay and the eBay of the aviation industry. So if you were a uh, airline and you needed a black box today, you would use our system and we would tell you where that black box was and, and then you would negotiate for that black box offline. And it was just a, I don't know, it was just a phenomenal time. Like, what, what, a, what a life I got a, a chance to leave, live. Mm -hmm. um, we, I lived down in Memphis uh, when we did that and we had our first child uh, who, was, who was my daughter. And eventually what ended up happening is she turned like, I don't know, three or something like that. And she said, y'all, and my wife said, we're moving. <laughs> so, <laughs> so uh, you know, Sometimes we made our way like back. Sometimes it's like that, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, so we made our way back uh, here, which so I live in, in um, you know, near Allentown now. And we actually chose the spot mostly because it was between my mother and my father. You know, we had a young child. And I, uh, I had actually, at the time, I bought another company, which is up in Nup Buffalo, New York, and I traveled kind of back and forth. And it was, a, it was an IT company as well, so that's really my background is in IT. I eventually sold that, and I went to go work for a very large company called DSM, which is the largest producer of vitamin ingredients in the world. So if you had milk today and it was fortified with vitamin D, it's very likely that that vitamin D came from DSM. So it's a company you don't mm -hmm. hear about. And my role was to be the global product manager for personalized nutrition. So my role was to go make people healthier. And it was just, a, what a great role, right? Like you're going around, you're helping people be healthier. Uh, we did it primarily through nutrition. So it, you can kind of think of it like Weight Watchers, except it wasn't necessarily about your weight, right? It was about any health issue. If you were a runner, we would help you be faster. If you were on the verge of diabetes, we would help you not be on the verge of diabetes. <laughs> so that was really good. Um, and eventually DSM decided to kind of spin us off. And um, when they decided to spin us off, I just decided I didn't want to go with the new company. And I bought a small little company, which is in the skincare industry, uh, called Dermamed Solutions. And I've owned that company now for 12 years. And we sell to spas and dermatologists primarily, both uh, medical devices like microdermabrasion and then also actual skincare that you, you know, put on your skin. Then 2016 happened. Well, this, is, this right. is going to be exactly my question. Okay, here you got a guy. He's traveled around the world. He's gone through all these different businesses, kind of has lived a life, and now he's in politics. <laughs> right? So what happens, right? So there you go, 2016. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's, it's crazy. Yeah, no, so, so, you know, the 2016 happens, you know, and, and Trump wins. And, and I'm Jewish, you know, and so when he was talking about the Mexicans and the Muslims and um, – whatever else, you know, like I, I literally couldn't take it. Like, you know, yeah. like, of course, you know, being Jewish, you're kind of, this is one of your learnings, right. Is about Nazism and things like that. And I'm not saying that he was a Nazi, right. I'm, that's not my point. My point was the way he talked about people, uh, I, I just didn't like, uh, and it just led to nowhere. And so what I, I became an activist right then and there, like that night, you know, I started doing everything I could to kind of balance out the world or at least balance out the world for me. And I was hoping that like, if it was balanced for me, that it would be balanced for other people as well. And uh, so originally I started, I, actually I started by talking to the chair of the party who at the time was a guy named Marcel Groen. And you know, people love him or hate him, uh, but for me, he was a good mentor. Uh, like he really taught me a lot and I didn't know anything about politics, right? So mm -hmm. I was coming in, you know, brand new and, uh, and he's still my mentor. Like I, I, uh, I really respect him. Uh, and like some of the guidance that he has given, most of the guidance that he's given me. 
And so one of the things he had me do right away was, was he's like, you know, why don't you go run for something small? Because he knew how angry I was. You know, and I was like, ah, I want to run for Congress, man. I'm just going to go. And he's like, you know, Mark, hold your horses, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he's like, go run for your township. And so I did. I, I ran for my township. And I, and I struggled to do that, right? Because, like, my anger was at Trump. It wasn't at, like, my local township. But, you know, he was right because, you know, what I ended up doing is I'm, I'm knocking on doors. Right. It was the right. first time I was ever knocking on doors, like for me, I had done it a couple of times for candidates, but it's very different. Um, and so I learned a lot about the process. And, and, I, and I will say, like, you know, we ran a great campaign. And I'll also say it had nothing to do with me. <laughs> like, I had a guy uh, who was my campaign manager. And every day he would give me a list of to do's and I would just do whatever he told me. Go knock on a door, I'll go knock on a door. Go make a phone call, I'll make a phone call. I just trusted whatever he said, so he ran a really good campaign. Um, and what ended up happening was the party noticed, you know, because we were the fir- I was the first Democrat to win in over 20 years in South Whitehall. I remember uh, and that so the party came yeah. to me and asked me to run for the 16th at that time, which was against Pat Brown. And, you know, to be honest, like, once again, I was kind of like, man, don't I, don't I want to run for Congress? You know, like, I'm still mad at Trump. You know, is, is this really the right path for me? And, you know, I, I called Marcel Groen, and I told him the situation. He's like, Mark, you know, you have to decide, like, you know, why are you in this? Are you in this just for you? Or are you in this for the party? Are you in this for the people? You know, who are you in this for? And I'm like, look, at the end of the day, I'm in this for the people. And right now, I believe that the people need more Democrats. You know, like, that's, that's who I am, and that's what I think that they need. And they certainly do not need, you know, Trump. You know, forgetting about the Republicans, just Trumpism. And so he's like, well, look, if you run against this guy, Pat Brown, and let's say you lose, but you get him to spend money, you're helping somebody else. You're helping some other candidate. If you run for Congress, there's going to be seven or 11 of you running Democrats running against each other. You know, is that what you want? Because if you want to go be that, you know, I'll support you. But if you want to just if you're here to help, this is how you can help. And so that made a lot of sense to me, quite honestly. Uh, and so I decided to run against Pat Brown. But I, I planned on beating him, right? Like, I wasn't just doing it to, oh, let me see, you know, how I do or get him to spend money. No, I, I, like, I was there to win. But part of winning was also accepting the fact that even if I lost, if I could get him to spend enough money, maybe somebody else could win. Well, and this is this is also a really important point, too, as well, because Pat Brown, of course, uh, he was entrenched. He was in he was a, he was one of the, you know, in the one of the power brokers in the state Senate. Right. At the time, he had, you know, long established himself a very, you know, familiar to what Brian Fitzpatrick does down this way. As kind of, oh, I'm kind of a moderate, you know, I'm kind of just like work on all sides. But really, when it comes right down to it, you watch the guy's votes and the guy is voting with a, you know, kind of with a with a right on this. But nonetheless, yeah. someone who's tough to beat. Um, but you can't ever even scratch the surface of someone like him until you get someone who's going to run. Right. Um, And run a strong campaign, not just for, you know, kind of their own sense of self-fulfillment, but also to really um, give the guy a run for the money and force him to actually campaign and put the issues out on the table. So, yeah, I mean, that's exactly right. And I'll tell you, once again, I ended up having a really good campaign manager. Her name was Hillary Kleins. And, you know, she helped me sort of take no prisoners. Yep. Right. Like, you know, really, a lot of Democrats uh, were against us. Uh, there were a bunch of Democrats that were like, ah, oh, you can't, you know, you can't fight, you know, Pat Brown. You know, he's loved by everybody. And he was like legitimately, you know, I don't know if loved is the right word, but he gave money to, let's say he gave money to a museum. This is an example. This is just an example, not necessarily 
the example. Right, right, right. Yeah, well, he then goes to he goes then goes to the board members and he's like, hey, you know, I just got you guys, you know, three hundred grand. Uh, maybe you guys want to contribute to my, you know, to my pack, which of course they then feel obligated to do, right? Like he yep. just got the money, and, and he's also basically, you know, letting you know, by the way, don't vote for anyone else because <laughs> I won't get you any money in the future. Right. Right. And so a lot of people were afraid to help me or even donate to me. None of the unions would donate to me. Um, Planned Parenthood wouldn't, uh, of all things, like Planned Parenthood wouldn't even endorse me. Uh, The school board wouldn't endorse me because he had a lot of power. Yep. Um, And so that's one of the good things about the good slash bad things about, you know, what's happened now is like he lost, Um, which was a surprise to many people. Well, and it was and it was a close race. I mean, it came down, you know, it came down to the wire that that he lost that race. Um, and, you know, and the, there's I mean, there's two things that are going on right now, which I think are remarkable for this district. Like, number one is the fact that Pat Brown lost. Right. Because I think that for yep. the longest time, everyone in the Republican Party, you know, if you you talk to people in the kind of like the, the statewide Republican Party, they thought Brown was a shoe in. Right. They thought that kind of. Okay, Brown's going to be in. We don't even need to. We need to we need to pay attention to that race. Then also, you're talking about the redistricting that took place that kind of brought in kind of upper bucks into the equation. So that actually kind of starts to kind of take take away from some of his um, kind of traditional support of the people that yep. he had glad handed for a long time. And I'll add in this too as well. Jarrett Coleman, who's now going to be your opponent, right? That the kind of ran to Pat Brown's right. That guy, what he's done with the Parkland School Board echoes exactly what's been happening in Upper Bucks and the school boards, right? So it's like you see this conglomeration of, you know, that guy is, you know, the Lehigh, the Lehigh County or the Parkland School District version of what happened in Central Bucks, what's happening here in Penridge, what's happening at kind of North Penn down in Montgomery County. And that is a setup for one, a couple things. One, it takes Pat Brown's legacy and his kind of power brokering off the table, right? Yep. But also it makes the stakes that much higher and that much clearer in a contestation like this. And I also think all those endorsements that you just talked about that you didn't get in the past time, they're sure as hell lining up behind you now. <laughs> so- <laughs> they are, there's no doubt. Yeah, that's true. Uh, yeah, you know, it's 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 interesting too because um, – you know his school. You know him being on school board. You do get to see what kind of guy he is, right? And and how he acts and reacts to these things. The negative is, you know, sort of as you said, it's a big district. The 16th is a large, yep. geographically a large district, and so making sure that people know who he is is very difficult, right? Like you know he does. He is going to have a lot of money. Uh, he he is funded by a guy named Jeffrey Yass, who yep. is the, you know the richest person in Pennsylvania. You know, huge charter schools person. So, you know, Jared, of course, is going to be for charter schools. I mean, I think of Jared as a puppet to, to, to Yass, really. I mean, Jared came out of nowhere. He's doing Yass's bidding. Um, so, I mean, uh, and, and, you know, look, you know, he also, you know, uh, Jared also supports Mastriano, obviously, right? Yep. And Mastriano, you know, look, he just supported Gab. You know, I just told you I was Jewish. One of the worst anti-Semitic sites that there is. Mastriano is on. Mastriano, though, while he won't say he's a Christian nationalist, he's a Christian nationalist, right? I mean, you know. Yes. Uh, Marjorie Taylor, Taylor Greene's willing to admit it. You know, he isn't willing to admit it maybe until he wins. And, and frankly, I think that we should call, you know, Christian nationalism what it really is, which is like the KKK, right? Like, yeah. people understand that. Christian nationalism sounds too, too uh, nice, really. 
Yeah, I agree. Um, but it's nonetheless that this is exactly the same thread that runs through the kind of the worst threads of kind of white supremacy and racist politics in our in our country's history. Um, and yes. you can dress it up however you want to do it. Um, you can call it whatever you're going to do. You can try to kind of say that it's not what it used to be. But when it comes right down to it, that's that's what we see. There's a reason why. Mastriano um, is, you know, showing up at these kind of far right kind of Christian nationalist kind of rallies. There's a reason why he goes into Gab and kind of, you know, spends five thousand dollars as, you know, campaign advice uh, to the owner of Gab so that every new follower in Gab automatically follows Mastriano's account. Things like that. Right. And, you know, when you also mentioned Jeffrey, yes, I actually had a question about this from one of our kind of frequent listeners, uh, starry eyed. She basically said, hey, ask him about the yes money. (laughs) Right. Because that's exactly (laughs) you said Jeffrey. Yes. Who PA spotlight, who's done a bang up job out of exposing um, and following uh, Jeffrey. Yes's money and the way that it's influenced both school districts and what's happening in charter schools and the attacks on public education um, to see that money flood into the Parkland School District and throughout kind of the state. Um, has got to be called out. And the minute that Jeffrey Yass becomes associated with someone like this, obviously it's got to be all hands on deck because that's a lot of money. Those are deep pockets. And those are, you know, the the seeds of extremism being watered right there. Absolutely. You know, at the end of the day, you know, so I, I've thought about this a lot, like, you know, because look, growing up, I've experienced anti-Semitism, right? Like, you know, okay, it's a part of, it's a part of uh, life in the United States. But it has, for me, in my lifetime, it has never been terrible. Um, I mean, at least in the areas that I have lived in. And I lived down in Memphis and places like that, sort of the Bible Belt. And, uh, you know, in, in the Bible Belt, like one of the first questions they ask you is like, what church do you go to? Just like yep. a standard question. Hey, how are you? What church do you go to? <laughs> you know, something we would never do up here. Uh, and, you know, so I would tell them and they were fine, like, basic. I mean, they may have said stuff behind my back, but, you know, to me, they were fine with it. So they're good enough. But now I look at all this stuff and I'm like, where is all this? Not just anti-Semitism, but, you know, anti-Islam, anti, you know, any minority right. group. Um, like it's, it's, it's gaining steam. And so is it just that the people all of a sudden woke up and they're like, hey, we really are terrible people. And we just were in the box <laughs> for all this right. long, <laughs> you know, or I think more likely, you know, this is this is sort of the portion of capitalism that has gone wrong. Like we've become sort of an oligarchy and, you know, the Jeffrey Yasses of the world, the rich people of the world, you know, they're really creating this battle. So like, like think about CRT as I think is a great example. So what is CRT really? Like when you ask, even if you ask sort of an average Republican who's upset about it, be like, okay, what is CRT? A lot of times they can't explain it. I'm like, okay, well show it to me in one of the books. Just it's show what, it to it's me. It's making like, white boys cry for feeling bad for themselves. That's what CRT is. <laughs> I mean, <Right. laughs> that's that's usually what you get. You get some version of that, right? And it has no. That's it. That's it exactly. But what it really is, you know, to be fair, it's parents caring about what their kids are taught. Yep. And they've been misled into thinking you know, that their kids are taught this. Because, like, look, you know, if you if you were told something, that your kid was being taught something, and you went to the school, or you, w- you would go to the school if you were worried about it, and you would probably initially, anyway, have a reasonable conversation. Hey, I'd like to understand a little bit about this, you know, blah, 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 right? But they're already coming, they have been so high-strung about this by, you know, by the news, by every. They're not coming in and having a conversation and trying to understand it. Like, they're coming in and saying, we, we got to burn it down. Yep. But they don't. 
but but they're but I, I actually do think that that what they're feeling inside is a reasonable thing, which is I care about my kid. And I want to make sure he or she is being taught the right things. And I don't know if it's so much like that they feel like, you know, that their kids are being taught. I, I think that their fear is that their kids are being taught not to love America. I think when it comes down to everything else, they, and it's not true, but I think that that's what they feel and that's what they're being told is, look, your kid's being taught not to love America because there was slavery, because we interred the Japanese, you know, because we did whatever. Um, it, it's not true, but it's their feeling. And so who created that distance? The oligarchs, right? It's the yeah. Jeffrey Yasses 100%. who are like, let's, let's pit each other, these guys against each other. Yep. And so that's what I think the problem is. Well, I mean, I think I think 100 percent. I mean, this is what we saw. With, with, it happens again and again in school boards. I think what's been fascinating to me is I've been reliving this moment um, from 2010 when the Tea Party first kind of kind of blew up. Right. Um, after the midterm yeah. elections and the, the Tea Party blew up. And I remember that there was uh, in Kutztown, where I teach at Kutztown University in the town there. There was uh, I had a couple students who showed up in one of my classes and they're talking with head of class. They're like, yeah, have you heard about this? There's a tea party, there's this meeting. It's like people that are want to stand up against the kind of elites that actually do something. Uh, the two, uh, and it, they were, you know, they were generally curious and looking for getting involved with something to do. They weren't ideologues of any stripe, right? They yeah. just were looking to do something. And they started going to these meetings and started going. And then after about a month and a half of going to these meetings, they started being like, what? Where is this coming from? And suddenly, yeah. like pre-printed materials would start showing up, and then all these talking points, and they'd have these outside speakers that would be coming in, and they started getting really freaked out. And they said, you know, one this one woman had come in and said, basically said it started to feel like a cult, and I'm like, exactly. And this is exactly what we see happening here, except now you've talked about a more advanced media infrastructure that has penetrated down to the local level, especially exacerbated through social media and these kind of niches that's being fed by these oligarchs. Exactly what you said. Um, yep. And that, you know, I mean, Paul Martino, who, who invested all tens of thousands of dollars in school boards across the state of Pennsylvania, came in and basically said things like, well, you know, now that I've built my apparatus, now I get to see what I can make them do. And he basically said that to The New York Times. And Absolutely. So, I mean, this is exactly it. And I think that um, and it's very, very hard. I mean, I like what you're saying there. I say to bring us back a little bit and say, look, a lot of the parents that start off on this pathway, right, about asking questions about stuff are there because they're just concerned about their kids. It's only yeah. then how that gets channeled and how that gets brought in um, where it can really be extraordinarily divisive, certainly. Yeah, I saw like a little video of this woman. I can't remember what state she was in. She's like, well, for both sides, what I'm going to do is I'm going to create an ordinance that says we can't do anything or we shouldn't teach about racism. <laughs> what? And, and, like, and like in her mind, she thought that she was doing something for both sides. And like so she was missing the point, right? Like, right. Uh, and I just feel like a lot of them are – they're we're, we're misunderstanding each other. I, I think that – uh, and look, and I think that we're misunderstanding each other to some extent on purpose. I think that we're misunderstanding each other because we listen to different news outlets, right? And we're being programmed to hear in a specific way. Because I think, you know, I've talked to some of these CR, people that really believe in CRT, and the more I talk to them, the more, you know, you poke holes, the more they're actually willing to listen. You know, like, they're like, yeah, yeah I just care about my kid. <laughs> That's all I care about. I care about my kid, and, you know, I, I, you know, I don't want them to hate America. And, you know, frankly, like when I grew up, right, like a lot of this was whitewashed, right? Like when I grew totally. up, you know, 
Christopher Columbus was like the man, right? And so, and I think, well, that like when I look at that in hindsight, I think, well, that was terrible. Why would they teach us that? And you know, some of these other guys, you know, the CRT guys might not be thinking that way. They might be thinking, hey, it was fine. You know, I accepted Christopher Columbus for whatever for for who he was in that moment. Um, and I, I don't want to go back to that. Right. You know, like I, I want to make sure we're taught about the Holocaust. I want to make sure that we're taught about slavery. I want to make sure we're taught about the Japanese internment. Um, you know, on the, on the left, you know, we think a lot of, you know, FDR, obviously. Mm-hmm. Great New Deal, all that kind of stuff. But, you know, he did send a bunch of Jews back on a boat. You know, he did yep. inter the Japanese. You know, the, <laughs> you know and he did perfect. cut the deal when he made the new deal. He did cut the deal that left farm workers out of that new deal and left a big chunk of African-Americans out of that deal. Right? Absolutely. And that's just Absolutely. that's just the facts. Right. <laughs> so we could be uncomfortable with that. And then our heroes could be tarnished. But you know what? That's what history really is all about, that we look at these things in their complexity, not just as kind of like some sort of idealized version of whatever you know, hero we want to worship in the moment. Right. And it's okay. Right. Yes. And it's okay. Like they're human. I, I'm, I'm okay. Cause I'm human too. I'm okay with that. So, okay. So we've got this, this going on. I mean, I'm, I could, I could talk about this all night. <laughs> but, so I really want, I really want to give some space to talk more about kind of we're doing your campaign and maybe a one way of kind of getting in this is, is I, I'd like to kind of point out something that you mentioned uh, at the rally yesterday um, that I had literally had just started reading up on on what you'd been doing there. And that comes in your job in Lehigh Valley Controller and what you're doing in banking. And I think, I, I don't want to put words in your mouth yet, but you, you kind of let up and say, well, look, I sat there and I said, well, what can I actually do? What can I actually yep. do right now that I don't have to wait till the election, <laughs> right? To just wait and vote harder in the fall, right? <laughs> what can you do now? Can you talk a little bit about what you, where that led you and what you did and the concrete results of what's happening here. Yeah, I'm excited to tell you about this. This is great. Um, so I'm going to give you a little bit of background because I think it just yeah. makes the story, you know, more fun, I guess. <laughs> 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 so, I mean, it really started the week of July 4th. And that week we were going on vacation. My family and I were going on vacation. And my daughter, who's 20, and my wife, who's older, obviously, uh, <laughs> was like... Do not talk about politics. Whatever you do, I don't want to hear about politics. We don't want to hear about it. Okay. They do not like politics. So I agreed. It wasn't easy. You know, you have to stay away from the news in order to not talk about politics. You're going to be triggered. Uh, But on July 4th, I was like holding up a flag. You know, my son was taking a picture of me. And my daughter like lost it on me. She was like, how can you be celebrating freedoms when we're losing all of our freedoms? And she's like, you know, of all the days that you should be out protesting, today's the day. You know, I was like, damn. <laughs> what All happened right, to the no politics know? rule? <laughs> <laughs> I know, exactly. So, um, so a great point. Right? I, mean, I was a little embarrassed. Great point. Yeah, yeah. I was a little embarrassed, like that I hadn't thought about it from her perspective, you know, and it was a good embarrassed. I mean, like not a bad, not in a bad way. And um, so I was trying to think, you know, I saw the controller of Lehigh County, you know, what can I do? And like, strangely enough, and this is a part of the story that sometimes I lift off, I was like watching TikTok of all things, you know, like I'm browsing through things. And this one TikTok came up and it was this woman who was basically trying to change her life to only use products um, who weren't where the company wasn't investing in a candidate that that, uh, was anti-abortion. 
<laughs> and so that kind of Im- impacted me, like what she was saying. So I was like, oh, you know what? I know that Wells Fargo is our uh, is our bank. And we have $145 million. I'm talking about Lehigh County now. has $145 million in the Wells Fargo Bank. And so I started doing some research on the bank. Like, oh, okay, so how are they? And look, they do invest in both sides. They invest in re- Republicans and they invest sure. in Democrats. But I only care about the Republicans at the moment, right? So I saw that like, they invested like $20,000 in Greg Abbott, you know, probably the worst Jesus. in terms of abortion right now, right? They invested other in, in others as well, all sort of anti-abortionists, anti-gun safety, climate deniers, all that kind of good stuff. And from my perspective, I am happy if we can get big money out of politics. I don't care if Democrats can't get money from banks, right? Like, <laughs> goodbye. Right, right. See ya. <laughs> <laughs> so what I did was I went back to the board, the board of Lehigh County, and I said, I'd really like to divest $145 million, so all of our money out of Wells Fargo, and then move it to a local non-political bank. So that's a bank that does not invest in any candidates. And so, you know, the board, you know, somewhat, some reluctantly, some not so reluctantly, they were very aggressive about it, agreed. And so we're now in the process of at least understanding what it takes to divest mm-hmm. ourselves. So we've had the same bank literally for 40 years. And so there's stuff we don't know, like who, who actually has the, you know, is it the executive that can make the decision? Is it the board that has to make the decision? So we're going through a legal review right now of like literally how do we do it? Um, and then like my intention is to find a local bank that meets all of the needs that we have, you know, especially and, and things that Wells Fargo gives us already good interest rates, all that kind of stuff, and then move our money. And, you know, not only do I want us to move our money, but this is something that I feel strongly about, which is other people can do this as well. Mm-hmm. Right. So you wherever you live, whatever township you're in, they probably have a bank that they're using. The municipality that you're in is using a bank. Right. We'll find out what bank it is. And are those are those banks? And if it's if it's Wells Fargo or some national bank, it's very likely they're donating to candidates. And, and so if they are, ask your board to remove it. You know, go go to a local bank. What's the, that's not an issue. This is not a major. It will take time, but it's not a major thing, right? Like, and you, if you're going, let's see, another good one is your school board, right? The, they're having a huge problem down, as you mentioned, in Penridge. Yep. Well, instead of having this conversation about CRT, ask them about their bank, right? You know, banks. Excuse me, schools have a lot of money in the bank. I'm sure that they are. I mean, depending on the school, they can easily be 145 million as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like you take that out of a bank and you put it into, excuse me, you take it out of a national bank, you put it into a local bank and all of a sudden you're having an impact, right? Cause now instead of those dollars being used to invest in some candidate somewhere, they're literally being reinvested into your community because you're using a local bank and that's what they do. 100% you think about it and who's the people who are going to be working at the local bank? People who live in your community, right? right. So and you're exactly. especially in an era and an era where we're seeing these kind of, you know, massive kind of, you know, mergers and kind of takeovers where local banks have it uh are, are local or regional banks whatever it might be, non-political banks you just said, um have a have a tough time of it. So whatever would mean taking those resources and shifting it and kind of putting it in and reinvesting the community, it's like a win-win in so many different ways. You know, Absolutely. I'm reminded of some conversations that they have, you know, um, you know, I'm thinking back to what, say, for example, Students Against Sweatshops did when they started wanted to divest what was um, divest kind of their school's um, affiliation with clothing manufacturers who use sweatshop labor. 
And they said, well, what's our mechanism to have the impact? Well, let's look at our licensing agreements, right? Our licensing agreements, right? Are, we can have, when next time that agreement is up, we can lobby to have that contract say, you have to prove and have an objective third-party independent monitor of your kind of your production facilities to make sure that they're not in sweatshops. So we're going to set that up. And it's like you're exploding your impact because you're basically saying, okay, this little linchpin right here, we have control of this in our space that we can have a disproportionate impact for doing good, right? Um, Absolutely. And having this and this is exactly what you're reminded of. As soon as you said that, I'm like thinking about all these different initiatives that different communities have done around divestment and reinvestment in the other aspects in the community. So great stuff. And one of the things about a bank, too, you know, is just like if you take $145 million a bank, it doesn't really matter how much you take out, but you take $145 million out of a bank, they now can't invest or reloan $145 million to someone else. So you are, at, you are literally hurting their bottom line, not just taking money out of a bank. They cannot make money off of your money. Uh, and that's, you know, that's, that's a big deal. It's a big yeah. deal. And so when you go to your school board and you ask them to reinvest it, if they're saying no, be like, well, well, why? We're going to a nonpartisan bank. So you're telling me that you're partisan because you want to stay with Wells Fargo or you want to stay with TD Bank or, you know, whatever the bank is, PNC. Um, no. Like, let's take this and get this, get big money out of politics. And you know what? Most Republicans want big money out of politics as well. It's only the rich that want big money in politics. Right. One hundred percent. No, and it's a great way, and it's a great sell to as well because you're saying, look, no, the goal is not to shift it from people who give to Republicans and people give to Democrats. We're shifted somebody who's supporting our community and is non-political, right? Who's not dishing yep. this money is actually spending their money on. They're, you know, the people that have money in their bank, right? Maybe in customer service, maybe in better interest rates for, um, you know, for their customers, um, maybe for their employees to ensure that they're, they got good health coverage and benefits, as opposed to finding out how we can manipulate the political process. So I think that is that was such a freaking amazing thing. Um, and it's going to be great to see where this goes from here. The other thing I wanted to, uh, another, again, I don't want to dig, I mean, only on the issues on the kind of around the finances, but you had some major, um, kind of wins just looking at through the lens of the controller, what was happening in terms of medical costs, right? Um, in Lehigh County. Yes. They can talk about Yeah, this that. is really exciting too. Um, so, you know, so first off, I'm a believer in, you know, single payer healthcare, right? Medicare for all, love the idea. It's because I own a business, right? And every year, you know, and so we, prior to COVID, we paid 100% for everyone. And every year it was going up 15 to 20%, my costs uh, were. And so like, it's not, it just wasn't sustainable. It was becoming sort of a heartache. And so I care. And, and you know, the other thing is, is that I want my employees to be able to walk away and still have healthcare. Like, I don't want them trapped you know, in my business because they're like, oh, I can't walk across the street and get health care or I can't just start my own business in health care. I want them to just have health care and I want them to have better health care than I provide, to be honest. <laughs> like we provide health care, but totally. it's like, you know, uh, high deductible, all that kind of stuff. So when I got into Lehigh County, like it was on my mind anyway, right? Like I'm like, oh, what can we do about the healthcare? And they're they're buying. So Lehigh County is self-insured. So basically, what that means is like, you know, if you go to the doctor and you pay the copay, and there's an eighty dollar, you know, eighty dollars left that have to be paid, Lehigh County actually pays that on behalf of its employees. It's not an insurance company that pays it. We pay it. And so, but we do have like an insurance company uh, uh, that's over us that ha that manages the network. Right. So what doctors you can go to, what pharmacies you can go to, things like that. So I, I thought, hey, you know, this would be great to, to really audit. Let me dig into this. And it's exciting. And so um, 
what I did was, so we have, we spend about $30 million on employee healthcare a year. About 7 million of that is the pharmacy. So you go to your pharmacist, you pay the copay, we pay the rest. And I was like, okay, well, let me just take a look at the pharmacy and see how we're doing. And what I found was $1.4 million in waste, just pure waste. Meaning like one of the things that I did was I ran all of the drugs that, you know, our employees have bought, purchased, and I ran it against a tool called GoodRx. And GoodRx is a website where, you know, if yep. you don't have insurance, you can just go buy, you know, cheaper uh, cheap drugs, a little less expensive with a coupon. So I'm like, okay, if I, if my employees had just gotten a coupon, how would they do? And they would, I can't remember exactly what the number was. It was significant. Like that we would have done better if our employees had just gone out, used GoodRx and we paid them back than having used, you know, our own insurance. So our <laughs> insurance crazy. provider who negotiates the price, you know, was basically skimming off the top, uh, in my in, in my view, skimming off the top, right? In their view, just making money um, <laughs> <laughs> off other people's like illnesses. Great, yeah, <laughs> right, exactly. And so what we ended up doing when we after we found the one point four million is we went out to bid again to rebid that portion of the healthcare, and we ended up saving three million dollars. So at a seven million dollars spend, we saved three million. That's crazy. It, it, it's unbelievable. It's yeah. unbelievable. And so that's when, so like when people are telling me, well, we can't go to single payer healthcare. We just, the money's not there. I'm like, oh, the money's there. Let me tell you. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I, I'm, I'm so glad to hear your story around this too, as well, because one of the things that's always baffled me is that, you know, this argument that single payer businesses are against that. And, you know, the people that I know, obviously I'm not hanging around with like, you know, you know, fortune 500 CEOs, right. But people that I know who run businesses, it would be such a, a incredible relief to them. To say, if you yep. had single payer and then that is taken off your books, right, entirely, then you know your employees are healthy. Like you said, your employees are going to be there because they want to be there, not because they feel they have to be there because they have to keep their benefits, right? And your bottom line doesn't get constantly impacted, right, by these rising drug costs, you know, drug costs or medical costs every single year. It was a no, it seemed to be always be like a no-brainer. To hear you talk about that as, as a business owner, I mean, like, I'm I'm for it. <laughs> Let's do it because it just makes a Absolutely. whole lot of sense. And I can I can kind of explain it too from both sides because having been an executive at a large company, um, I know the issue there. And the issue is it, it's really not so much that they don't want single payer healthcare, is that they don't want risk. So they don't know what's going to happen if we change from the healthcare that we're on today to some future healthcare, and that uncertainty is unpalatable. To a, to a very large company. Like, oh my God, I'm only spending $30 million today. Maybe I'm going to be spending $60 million tomorrow. I just don't know. That's the problem. And then on the other side, you know, you have like, let's say restaurants, right, who typically are paying hourly, you know, and aren't providing any health insurance whatsoever. So now all of a sudden, let's just assume it's 10%, like 10% of their wages, you, you know, have to go towards uh, healthcare. So they're worried as well, because they're like, well, you know, all of a sudden I'm going to have this big bill. It's true, but, you know, the fact of the matter is every single restaurant will have it, you know, so it won't be limited to you. So if you have right. to increase your price by a nickel, um, so be it, right? Like, you know, you're going to see the market's going to adjust. Um, right. And I, I just think people are scared. But when you know the numbers, when you actually know the numbers, it's a very it's, – it's doable. This is a very doable thing. And we could do it just here in Pennsylvania, by the way. If we, if we can't get this done, you know, at the national level, in Pennsylvania we could get it done. 
So obviously that's going to be dependent on having people like you um, in the PA state Senate. Um, obviously candidates like that were kind of at the re- rally for reproductive justice yesterday uh, for Gwen Stoltz yeah, um, um, to make sure Jim Miller that have it in the PA house. So talk a little bit about, I mean, I don't know like what else you want to kind of put in here, but I want people to get a sense of other things that why you think it matters and what's at stake here. Um, because I think that we need, uh, we have a real opportunity here, I think, at the, in the state politics. And, and frankly, I'm really glad that you decided not to run for, uh, you know, Congress, but decided to run in the state. Because, frankly, I think this is where the fight is right now. Um, That's and true, we need yeah. people that are going to be, and especially there's absolute insanity happening in our state house, right? Um, I know enough people that are working out there and where the Republicans out there want to take us is a very, down a very, very dark road. Um, so to have good candidates in there that, that have the experiences that you do, that have the background is. So can you talk a little bit about, again, why do you think it's kind of critical to have folks like you than the PA State Senate? And what about your campaign do you think that you bring to the table that you think is, um, you know, that, you know, is necessary at this moment? Yeah. Uh, wow. That's there's some good good questions in there. Uh, so one of the things that I think is necessary at this moment, honestly, is not having a career politician, um, right? And so like, and and I don't mean anything negative about career politicians. I, I really don't. Like, I mean, I think they're necessary as well. But you know, if you're not a career politician, what it allows you to do is take a lot more risk because you're not worried about whether you're going to get reelected or not. You're worried about doing the right thing first and foremost, and then re-election after that. And so I think that, you know, going for candidates like that, where you see they have a drive and that they're, you know, this is not going to be, you know, a forever job for them, that they really are here to try and do something good. And hopefully it's it's good for the many, not the few. Um, so I, I think that that's an important thing. You know, for me personally, obviously, I, you know, I think I have, you know, I, I do have sort of wide eyes and types of things we can get done. But I also understand the numbers, you know, being obviously a financial guy. Uh, and I do think there's a lot of money that we can save. Like, so for the most part, look, you know, I actually think for the most part, most governments are actually run financially reasonably. And in fact, coming from a corporate setting, you know, they, a corporate setting is much has a lot more waste than any government does because they're just willing to accept the waste, right, and move forward because their goal is profitability, you know, whatever. In the government, because it's our money, we're much stricter and it takes, you know, a lot more to, you know, to change things. That said, you know, if you take the example that I just gave you with the $3 million at, at the county level and you move that to a state level, you're talking about like $140 million, $150 million worth of savings that can happen. I don't think anybody's going to get their tax money back, but I certainly think that we could use that more effectively than giving it to the pharmaceutical company or specifically the PBM, the pharmacy benefit managers. Yes. Um, so I, th- I think that somebody has, who has an eye on the fiscal side has a chance potentially to do better with the Republicans, right? Because I mean, I can talk and feel, you know, about, about uh, the financial component, very similar to the way that they do. It's just that I have like different motivations on the social side, <laughs> right? Like the things that we should get done, the schools, you know, how, how we should be funding schools, things of that nature. Well, I also think that, you know, having somebody with that kind of like fiscal experience and kind of outlook too as well, 
is in a better position to call some of these folks out. And I don't necessarily mean that you're going to go there and say, you're just a liar. Not like that. But look, I mean, a lot of what happens in Harrisburg um, when it comes to, you know, these kind of budget hearings, when it comes to fiscal measures, matters, it, a lot of times those are just talking points that once you yep. scratch the surface of what the claims that they're making about waste, the claims that they're making about spending, they just don't hold up under even the kind of, you know, the, even like, you know, limited scrutiny. So to have somebody that's there to say, hey, you know what? Um, you know, and I've interacted with you enough now to know that, like, you're not the kind of guy who's like, you're an asshole. <laughs> you know, so you're going to be like, well, OK, but if we look at it this way, <laughs> right, we can actually see there's a lot of savings here. And that savings here kind of solves, you know, solves the problem and takes this issue kind of off the table so we can focus on, you know, getting things in this bill done, for example. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, it, yeah, exactly. I think that those are the kind of things that are important. And I think that that like. You know, those are the some of these issues. I think cross boundaries and are things that we could get done together. I believe. You know, maybe I'm wrong, but there are other things that, like, I think that you need to make noise about, right? And so, for example, you know, just like in the federal government, you know, our state government has shrunk the size of our version of OSHA. Uh, you know, we've shrunk the size Holy. of our version of you know um, uh, the IRS, the Revenue Department. Right. And why are we doing that? We're doing that so that the IRS is not going at, or in our case, the Revenue Department is not going after the big guys to go after their money and all that kind of stuff. So they're underfunded uh, in, in, in a specific manner for a specific reason that was done on purpose. And like these are the kind of things where like I'll get up there and I'll be talking about that all day long. Like, you know, you, you, the easiest way not to have OSHA is just to get rid of the enforcement mechanism. Right. Right. Yep. Uh, and and yet, like, and so one of my big issues, quite honestly, is is so I'm I do a lot on crime as the controller. It's one of the biggest expenses that we have. So sixty nine cents on every dollar of Lehigh County is spent towards law and order. You know, so that includes you know the jail and the PD, the public defender and the DA. Um, but you know, there's lots of there's lots of like money in that area that we can get if we went after white collar crime. So, right, if you if you stole a thousand dollars from your employer, employee, excuse me, your employer, do you do you know where you'd be? Yeah, you'd be in jail. <laughs> in jail, right? Exactly. <laughs> but if you do it through wage theft, <laughs> right? <laughs> right, exactly. But if they steal a thousand dollars from you, what happens? Nothing. Nothing, and that's not right. That's not right. And we need to fix that because, like, there's you know 700,000 Pennsylvanians every year that lose some portion of their wages because they're stolen from them, you know. And so this could be a contractor who did, did a work for you last week and he comes to get paid and they're like, nah. Or it could be a cashier who you know is told to clock out early, you know, or whatever isn't paid the overtime. Like, there's lots of reasons, and there is you know, as I said, 700,000 employees in Pennsylvania that get screwed every year. Every year. Every year. You know, I use it. This is something that uh, Rick Smith and his show, Rick Smith's show, is big, uh, he's been focusing on this for years, right, and talking about wage theft as, I mean, again, both at the state level and at the national level. And it's really – in. We need one. It's great to hear you call it what it is, right? I mean, this is money that's being stolen from employees and from workers, right? This is Absolutely. not something that like, oh, they should have been paid more. Or the wages should have been. No, no. This is actually systematic theft, 
right, um, by the employer from the employee, from the kind of the working class in Pennsylvania. Um, and the fact that that is happening, 700,000 per year are getting robbed systematically and nothing is done about it is disgusting. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's why. So if, if do you want your police to go run after the guy who smoked marijuana or do you want your police to go work on the guy that they're actually going to make money off of? Because then when they charge you as an employer, you're going to end up paying money into Pennsylvania. Yes. One hundred percent. So we've got this. So let me let me ask you this, because um, I know we got to wrap up soon and I'm, I've taken you longer than I promised. I would. <laughs> but, no, but no, this one, is great. I love it. OK, awesome. So um, if. For me, I look at this election as incredibly, incredibly high stakes. I mean, the, the reason why, again, that, you know, I, I've been at two rallies now that you've shown up that have been kind of there around kind of reproductive justice and kind of defending abortion rights. I know yep. questions. I mean, look, we're staring down the face of uh, global catastrophe when it comes to um, when it comes to climate change. You know, we're in a situation where we're watching watching kind of kind of labor rights getting kind of ripped away um, from all of us and the public being dis- diminished. These are not small issues, right? Um, these are significant issues that are going to require um, really kind of collective organizing, right? And really kind of um, not just you in the state Senate, but also all the people that are helping get you there, <laughs> right? Yep. Um, to keep up the pressure and keep up the organizing to get this stuff done. So when you're looking at it, you kind of backing up a little bit, looking at this again, the big picture, the stakes of what's going on here. It's a midterm election. Right. A lot is going to depend on turnout. How would you talk about like what is at stake when it comes to Pennsylvania and for the voters that are, are sitting there where they're, they're thinking about going to, um, you know, think about going to the polls this fall. Right. And even more important, when they're thinking about what to do this weekend and should they go out and be knocking doors, should they go out and be kind of helping out or showing up? How would you talk about some of the stakes of this this election? Yeah, I mean, look, the stakes of the, you know, I thought once Trump was out that, you know, things might get back to normal, Um, but they didn't. We are in a new normal. And frankly, we have already lost democracy as we knew it, right? So when you and I grew up, you know, democracy was a certain way. I'm not saying democracy is over. I'm saying it's forever changed. So we now have a MAGA Supreme Court. And that's MAGA Supreme Court has started with some very specific things, right? So reproductive rights were the, were the biggest issue. But there was also like Miranda rights uh, are basically gone now. They sort of yep. gutted them. You know, they, they have made it easier for Border Patrol to walk into any house without a warrant if you're within 100 miles of the border. You know, so there's some really serious things that they're doing. And, they have, and, and they're coming up. The next legislative session, or excuse me, it's legislative. The next session for, for uh, the Supreme Court, they're talking about legislative something theory, which escapes me at the moment. But the idea is that the legislator is completely in charge of your state. And when they're in charge of your state, you can't take anything to the courts. So if you're Jerry Meredith, sorry about your luck. You know, if they want to change the outcome of the election, sorry about your luck. Right. And and so this is a major year. We need to at the very least, we need balance, you know, of Republicans and Democrats. So that can't happen. In my mind, we need to obviously have more Democrats than Republicans. But, you know, our lives with this new MAGA Supreme Court will not be the same. It will not be the same. And, you know, the states are going to be, you know, like, I, I mean, look, you know, the, the, in the Constitution says we should be going towards a more perfect union. I think we're doing the exact opposite. I think we're headed towards a federation of states, 
you know, rather than a union, where each state, like the governor now is going to be hugely important. The, not that they weren't previously, but now they really are important, right? Like they're the ones that are going to sign the final thing on wh whether abortion is there or not, uh, or whether there's prayer in school or not, right? right? Um, and so when I'm talking about it, I'm trying to tell people, I'm trying to really uh, tell people, because they're worried about the, they're definitely worried about the abortion thing, which I think is the most important thing right now. But when you're looking down the line, you really need to understand that this Supreme Court is going to change the way democracy works, you know, and we'll see if we have a democracy like ours in the future or if it's like Hungary, Hungary in the future. Right. It just came from CPAC, right? Yep. Yep. Victor Orban is speaking at CPAC to like thunderous applause, right? I mean, seriously. Yes. Thunderous applause. Exactly right. And like, and I don't understand what they see. I, I just don't, you know, like, I mean, I've been to Hungary and it's not great. <laughs> you know, so. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but by the way, just so folks, if you're curious about what Mark was talking about, legislative supremacy is the term you were talking about there, right? Thank you. Saying, yeah, yeah. Or parliamentary supremacy is sometimes what it's called this. And this is really big in conservative circles right now, which is going to play itself out in Arizona in a big time especially if uh, you've got all these kind of election deniers that were just uh, just won their uh, primaries and that are now kind of on the ballot and look, they're going to take over this. And so uh, and right here in the state of Pennsylvania, Doug Mastriano says that one of the first things that he would do if he was elected governor, right, is number one, we don't elect our uh, secretary of state. It's appointed, right, um, so that he would appoint somebody who would, number one, invalidate everybody's voter registration, right? And force them to re-register. You know, there's big questions about, you know, that'll be a court fight, obviously, but would do that, right? And would start to kind of use the levers of the state as a way to suppress voting, right? Absolutely. And so we're right on the edge of that happening if uh, Mastriano is elected to the governor and, or for that matter, if our uh, uh, the state legislature gets elects enough Republicans to override a veto. Either one of those scenarios. Yep. Yeah, that's and that's why we need to flip the state, right? Like what people may not understand is like if you if you're upset with Pennsylvania, you should be angry at the Republicans. They've controlled for 30 years. Yeah. Right? Like it's not just it's not just the governor. They have had this the the Senate and the House for almost 30 years. So regardless of what you think of the governor, they have been in charge. And so if you don't like where Pennsylvania is going or has been, it's the Republicans' fault. Where they go. And all the more reason we got to elect folks like Mark Pinsley here. So, Mark, let me ask you as a way of kind of closing things out tonight. Uh, if people are interested, they want to find out more, right? They want to get involved with your campaign. They want to kind of donate to your campaign. Where can they go um, to get more information? Yeah, so it's vote Mark. Pinsley.com is my website. And like, look, you know, we love when people, you know, even donate stamps or, you know, uh, fill out postcards. Like I, I've got people filling out a hundred postcards at a time. And, you know, that's a real mailing. You know, when I do a mailing, it costs money, right? You know, like sending out these mailers. And so even when you do that, even if though you might think it's not that big of a deal, um, like to so far I've, I have 10,000 postcards that were done by individuals that have been posted and written. That's a huge contribution a little bit at a time a little bit at a time we're going to put that link directly in tonight's show notes so everybody could check it out um and look Thanks. uh you know what, what are the things i just want to you know i just want to say like personally it has been uh fantastic to see you down here in upper buck so often 
right? I mean, because oh, uh, I mean, I remember. I mean, I, it was so funny. It's like uh, I remember when we we're still trying to figure out what the final maps were going to look like, right? And then finally, the 16th got kind of redrawn or whatever. And I'm trying to figure out okay, what's going on. I can't tell you how many questions that I had from people, right? Because I just got, I got elected this past year um, to basically I'm like the uh, oh God, I forget what my my official title is. Like, like state the, committee, uh, maybe? Or? No, I'm like the election. I'm like of my precinct. I'm the the the, the election guy, <laughs> right? The judge of election. I'm the judge, the judge of elections of my precinct, right? So, oh, gotcha, um, you yeah. know, and so when we had the when we had the uh, uh, the primaries, right? We had to we had to be prepared to kind of tell people because you know go to people to show up that they're not paying super close attention to politics, and suddenly the guy that they were there or the woman they're they're there to vote for suddenly isn't on the ballot. So you want to be able to help them kind of understand where the um, what the new district was and stuff like this. And then I started getting all these, you know, not as part of judge of elections, but just personally through doing this show, people trying to say, well, who's running, who's running, who's running. And I'm like, well, Mark Pinsley, you know, Mark. And I told him a little bit, because I, I had to know a little about your, your campaign in 2016. And I know a little about the work that you've been doing. And, yep. um, you know, I said, you know, you'll, you'll get the, you'll get to see him. And like, literally, right. So I get these emails back. Oh, I just met him. <laughs> you know, He was like, <laughs> he was down in my neighborhood or he was at this rally. Um, and I think that's meant a whole lot of people very early, you know, when those district lines got redrawn, um, you know, you didn't waste time to have you and your campaign kind of out there and kind of meeting people. So, uh, you know, hats yeah, off to you. you on that. It's meant a lot. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. You know, I will tell you, you know, it's interesting, too, because, um, you know, uh, just in terms of the primary, Lehigh County was much worse to um, to Pat Brown than Bucks County was. They're a little bit more moderate, I suppose. Um, but I have found them to be, you know, Bucks County in particular is far more active, even though they have a harder time, even though they're more Republican, you know, in terms of uh registration they are working their butts off man and, and i i really appreciate and it's not that we're not working our butts off up here we are but it's very different and i really appreciate it i really do well that's also great to hear and i, I have to say and all the, all the hats go off to so many of the folks that got energized in part because of these school board elections um that yep. have really kind of shown what you know again the stakes became very clear here in penridge school district where my kids are at right this is you know this last school board election this was this this was the second or third time round of dealing with mm. some of these folks that were coming out. Um, what's happening in Central Bucks, what's happening in kind of um, Palisades, what's happening like in North Penn, all around this, that push has been really has been really ramped up. And what people did when they went out and they organized around those school board elections, they didn't go away. Like literally the next day they're saying like, okay, where do we need to go next? Who do we need to talk to? How do we keep this organization going? What do we need to do better? And those folks that you saw at that rally yesterday um, were those folks who have been there nonstop kind of building out those structures and, you know, um, have really – have really been, you know, the nuts and bolts. And they've they've done it largely alone, right? I think it's like, you know, the state or the I would say the, the county and the statewide Democratic Party is catching up to those folks um, who've been doing their organizing on the ground now. And it's great to see that they're actually deciding we're not going to fight these folks. <laughs> we're actually going to try to help them out because they're doing an amazing jobs. So um, I know that they're going to appreciate the shout out tonight, Mark. Yes. Yeah. Very good. Well, great. Well, hey, thank you so much for taking the time tonight. Um, and remember, everybody, you can check in the show notes. You're going to um, make sure that you head on over to Mark's website. Uh, if there's ways that you're going to help out, if you're up in Lehigh County, if you're up down here in Upper Bucks, I'm looking for ways to get involved. Lots of ways to get involved. Um, share out this show. Make people people you, who don't get to know him so much want to hear a little bit about his background. Share out the show to folks that they can hear a little bit here. And uh, we're going to make that available um, to any place that it needs to go. So thanks again, Mark, for uh, for thanks, coming Kevin, out tonight. I really appreciate it. 
Oh, fantastic. Uh, well, everybody, uh, this is going to be one little quick note. want to let everybody know, um, you know, I know it's been on and off for the show the past couple of weeks. I got I got sick. Uh, if you remember, I thought that I had COVID, but it turns out I didn't have COVID. I had a, 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 a pretty nasty leg infection and a blood clot. So um, that turned out to be uh, a little bit more serious than I would have hoped, but uh, we got it under control now. So I just want to let everybody know um, that's what uh, that's what the deal was. Um, I appreciate the uh, the messages, people asking how I was, making sure that everything was going on, um, what was happening. Um, so I really appreciate the thoughts, um, and I really appreciate everybody coming out tonight um, and helping share in the show. So this is Kevin Mahoney, editor and founder of Raging Chicken. Um, keep your eye on your medias because uh, we got some great shows coming up in the next couple of weeks. we got some more local candidates that are be coming out. We're probably going to be doing some shows in the middle of the week, too, as well, to make sure that we could put as, uh, as much kind of amplification um, to the work that's going on on the ground as we can. Uh, we'll let you know about when the next rallies are coming up um, and, you know. Keep it up, everybody. Uh, as you heard, Mark, uh, thanks to everybody who's doing the work out there on organizing. And uh, we'll be talking to you soon. So this is Kevin Mahoney, uh, this creator and founder of Raging Chicken. Um, we're going to be seeing you next Monday. Uh, we might have a short Friday show. It's my daughter's birthday, so it's going to depend on her. <laughs> um, keep an eye on it. Thanks, everybody. Keep up the fight. Keep up the struggle. We'll see you soon. See ya! <laughs>